This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Carolina's going to win. The players are going to be prepared. They're used to overcoming challenge, and they're playing the Denver Broncos. They might be the worst team Carolina's faced this year. Lock looking deep for Hamler. He's got a step. He's got it. Touchdown, Denver. Second of the day for Hamler. And a new career high for Drew Locke. That's his fourth touchdown pass today. He comes back to Carolina today with a win. Final score, 32-27. Give me Miami to beat North Carolina by more than three. Look out, Carter's in the secondary, and down the sidelines. It's a foot race. Can they catch him? They cannot. The Heels, three possessions, three touchdowns. Well, you've seen something historic today. Michael Carter, Javante Williams that combine for 544 yards and five touchdowns. It was a busy weekend. And we're so glad you're here on a Monday drive. I'll eat all that crow considering how well North Carolina played against Miami. I think that might be the best win in my lifetime for Tar Heel football. I was in the Smith Center speaking of teams that reside in Chapel Hill for Carolina's win over Central. But that experience will have to wait because, as you heard there, we've got to talk about the Panthers' loss to the Broncos and, more specifically, Teddy Bridgewater. I've been more fair and patient with Teddy than I think most in the media have. Some made up their mind before he even take took a snap this year. Some waited until they were 0-2 to say they were done with him. Others, a few weeks ago... I wanted to see how he responded after the bye week. And while he wasn't terrible against Denver and gave Carolina a chance at the end, it's just been a bit too much when it comes to opportunities he's exhausted. I think yesterday was my point of clarity with Teddy. He is not going to be the answer in the future at quarterback for Carolina. He can't be. It's kind of like the person in your life that creates a lot of drama. I don't know if it's a relationship you have with a guy or a woman, a family member, a friend from college or from high school, somebody you've always known to create drama, and it's never their fault. Oh, it's always someone else's fault. And I love how they always point out they tend to, I don't like drama but then drama always seems to follow them. Like if it happened on seven different occasions, these people claiming, oh, drama never follows me. I hate drama. But yet there's still drama there. Odds are it does have something to do with that person. It might not be completely their fault, but if there are seven different instances to point to where that is completely the case, well, odds are you're a dramatic person. With Teddy... The end-of-game struggles, what I described to be about a month ago, fourth-quarter Teddy, it's beyond a concern at this point. He is 0-for-7 in situations late in the game where Carolina has an opportunity to tie the game 
or score a go-ahead touchdown. 0 for 7. And again, you can make an argument it's not all his fault, but seven times with not just one going your way, it's pretty damn clear. Teddy is not the future of the Carolina Panthers at quarterback. It's fine. Regardless if Carolina goes in the draft, he'll still be the starter next year in all likelihood. No guaranteed money on the third year, so you can keep him for as long as you'd like, but this is not the guy who's going to lead you to the Super Bowl. I hate to say it because Teddy's a great guy. It is easy to like Teddy. Nobody has a negative word to say about the guy. But I think what we're alluding to, it's past the point where it's a trend. It's now the rule. I'm not going to go through every game, but just to quickly recap it. Panthers down seven to the Bears, he throws a pick. Panthers down eight to Atlanta and Charlotte throws a pick. Against the Chiefs, against the Saints, both the games being on the road. Couldn't get closer than 65 yards away in both instances to try and get a game-winning field goal up. Or in the New Orleans case, a game-tying field goal. He also took a really bad sack against the Saints. Then you got bad game management. That's probably what bugs me the most. With it, with a young quarterback, I can deal with bad game management. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Daniel Jones. I look at those guys. Hey, they're still learning how to win. They're learning. They might be more apt to panic because they haven't been in those spots before. Teddy turned 28 years old last month. He is a first-round pick from 2014. He's been in this league for a while. He is a veteran quarterback. He did learn under Drew Brees. He shouldn't be making the mistakes he's making at the end of games. Against Minnesota, Carolina blew it. He threw Joe Brady under the bus saying he thought they panicked a bit with the third down play call on the goal line. They didn't get it in quick enough, even though as they got the playoff, there was a wide-open receiver across the middle of the field that Teddy missed. Minnesota wins that game. Then yesterday, two different situations really hard to defend Teddy for. Around the two-minute warning, Teddy takes a sack that he absolutely should not have taken on first down. Then on third down, he's rushing a play to the line of scrimmage rather than just taking it to the two-minute warning and he throws the football way over the head of Robbie Anderson or whomever that was intended for. You didn't have to rush it there. Matt Rule said after the game, he didn't like the fact they got the play at that point. So we're thinking, oh, they just weren't able to communicate it to Teddy that they didn't want to run a play there. Well, then when I followed and asked about it earlier today, I think it's a pretty damning response from Matt here where apparently it was made perfectly clear to Teddy through the headset from either Rule, Joe Brady, or both. They didn't want to play ran in that spot. This is Coach Rule. Teddy made a decision to run a play when we asked him not to. Watching the tape, I see what he saw, but it shouldn't happen that way. And so um, there's a time and a place for, for you know, hey, the, you can't have quarterbacks play you know, in the black and white. They have to have some gray area. And to be quite honest, you know, 
when you look at it, it's why, I mean, if, if the guy runs, it's wide open, uh, Robbie's wide open on the other side, but that being said, you know, um, it just didn't follow really the chain of command of what we want done situationally. So two weeks after you threw Joe Brady and the coaching staff under the bus, you're not listening to them in that key spot on third down and long. Then on fourth and eight, you don't throw the ball past the sticks. It seemed like the receivers were covered. There's a chance maybe you can lead Pharaoh Cooper on a post the middle of the field, but that's Pharaoh Cooper. Let's just be honest. That's probably not a completion. It's probably not where you want to go on fourth down. Robbie was very well covered. You know you have a completion with Curtis. Curtis was supposed to be four or five yards deeper on that route, but the fact still holds you didn't really give yourself a chance when you threw the ball one yard past the line of scrimmage on fourth and eight. And the only reason you're probably in fourth and eight in that spot rather than fourth and more manageable at worst, or maybe already converted was because you rushed to play right before the two minute warning. Those are things you accept from a young inexperienced quarterback, not veterans like Teddy Bridgewater. But this is probably the main reason why I think this moment of clarity hit me. I look at the website NFL tankathon among others that project what the draft order is going to be. If the season ended today, Carolina, which is tied for the worst record in the NFC right now, would be picking sixth. They would be picking sixth, and there's a chance they can move even higher. Teams like Philadelphia jumped them because Philadelphia won yesterday with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. The Cowboys, I think Carolina is picking after Dallas. Dallas has a worse strength of schedule, so Carolina is picking uh, after the Cowboys at this point. There's a chance they can move up is the point I'm trying to make. And Carolina, the direction they're trying to head in, you're probably not going to be picking inside the top 10 again. So can you really pass up the opportunity to take a top 10 quality quarterback this year? I don't think so. Especially when you consider two of the teams picking in front of you right now aren't going to take quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, he's he's Cincinnati's guy. They're not going to go quarterback, and neither are the L.A. Chargers. So, really, you have a top four pick in the way of thinking about it if you're going to go quarterback. And there's a chance Dallas might just stay with Dak Prescott instead of going rookie quarterback. So, who knows who's going to be available there? It's a perfect situation for a rookie to step into. Teddy is a big part of that because... One of the best guys in the league, great personality, very warm to all of his teammates. That's a guy who can groom a young quarterback behind him. No pressure for that quarterback to step in and immediately play. You've got great weapons around you. McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, maybe Curtis Samuel if he's extended beyond this year. I can't think of a better spot to step into. You get to mesh with a great offensive mind in Joe Brady. I don't know if Carolina can miss the opportunity now of picking in the top 10. And when you look at the rest of the schedule, there's no gimmies. You're playing the overall number one seed in the NFC on a short week in Lambeau Saturday night. Then you're facing Ron Rivera, who's going to want to beat you, trying to compete for an NFC East title. They're in first place. That's in D.C. You close things out with the Saints, who are battling with Green Bay for that number one spot. And only one team gets the bye, remember. So I don't know if Carolina's going to win another game this year. And it's probably best for them that they don't. Teddy Bridgewater. 
He's exhausted all of his opportunities to prove he's the future of the Panthers. All right, I want to shift things a bit. Central really battled in Chapel Hill this weekend. Robert, let me give you a quick recap of North Carolina's win over Central. 19 points, 11 rebounds for... Armando! Right, Armando Baycott getting the job done. It was cool watching for the third time under Roy Williams, North Carolina, go up against North Carolina Central. We know it's been a part of the conversation. ACC coaches looking at playing HBCUs. So I started wondering... Is there a chance North Carolina could make a return visit to Central to play at an HBCU? First off, it was something I wondered what Lavelle Moton thought of. Has a great relationship with Roy. Called himself a member of the Tar Heel basketball program on Saturday or felt like he was a member of it. His son's godfather is Raymond Felton. He has family that played for Carolina, including Donald Williams, Good friends with Jeff McKinnis, Vince Carter, Sheed Wallace, among others. So I just brought it up to Lavelle. Hey, what would that mean for the Central Basketball Program if the Tar Heels came that way? Here's how that sounded. Just give me a sense for what it might mean to you if an ACC team went to North Carolina Central. Um. It would mean the world to us. Anytime we can get a home game, we're happy. Whether it's an ACC or a CCA school, if we can just get a home game out of it, we're happy. Which is good to say. Anyone as far to say, Roy and himself, they've been discussing scheduling, trying to play more games against each other. I brought that to Roy Williams, who, again, hasn't been afraid to play anywhere. Doesn't mind when a team's trying to open up a gym sending the Tar Heels there. Shar Center at Elon, for example, that was their first basketball game there. Wofford, they did the same thing. And Wofford even won that game a few years ago. That was Mike Young's last year uh, with the Terriers. Went on the road to face his assistant, C.B. McGrath, when he was at UNCW. Uh, didn't mind going to Trask Coliseum there. So Roy has no issue, big or small, going on the road if it's for a cause he believes it. And like I mentioned, has a great relationship with Lavelle, Here's what he had to say when I asked him about making a return visit to NCCU. I know when I was at Kansas, they were only four non-division one teams in the state, and we played uh, one of them in an exhibition game and another one in a home game every year to give them the money and then switched and played the other two the next year. But uh, I'd have to think about that uh, if I've ever done that before. But uh, uh, I think they might get more money by playing them here, to be honest with you, than we could with the – uh, the limitations on the size of the arenas in some place, but that's something I never thought of and may think of now. Here's something to think about if you're Roy. I went through the history of North Carolina basketball going up against HBCUs with some help from the folks in Chapel Hill to try and confirm some of this. Looking at all-time results, North Carolina has only played an HBCU on 12 different circumstances. 12 different games against HBCUs. 10 of those 12 were played in Chapel Hill, meaning the Tar Heels went on the road for two of them. Those two, 1997, this is early on in the year, Bill Guthridge took his team to play at Hampton, or excuse me, at Bethune-Cookman, 
The next year, Bill Guthridge, his second year out of two, played at Hampton. Those are the only two times in the history of Carolina basketball. As far as the record books say, they have played on the road at an HBCU, which means neither Roy nor Dean Smith have ever taken a Tar Heel basketball team to play on the road at an HBCU. Roy's right. It might mean more for the schools if they let them come to their place so they benefit financially. That's how a lot of these athletic departments make money, and Lavelle even said as much. Roy did us a favor scheduling this game because he cares about our athletic department and he cares about us. But my question to Roy or to Lavelle would be, how much would that moment be worth having the Tar Heels go into North Carolina Central? What would that represent? North Carolina going to an HBCU. I think it would be a where were you at, uh, where were you at type of moment in sports. See, I went to East Carolina like Robert did. And there's not much to talk about in the way of ECU basketball doing much. There's not much tradition there. But if you ask a Pirate fan something about ECU basketball, odds are one of the things they will remember is when a bad NC State team went into Minji's Coliseum in 2007. They beat NC State and they stormed the floor. It mattered so much to Pirate fans that they were playing NC State, that they came into their building. It mattered. And I got a feeling this would matter a lot, too. And it would be a symbol. North Carolina going to an HBCU, other ACC teams might follow what North Carolina does as one of the Blue Bloods. So I think it should happen. And I think if it matters to Roy, and I believe with him starting to think about it now, it's something that might matter to Roy. It's a pretty significant deal. It's something that is worth following for years on end. And I have no issue putting pressure on the powers to be to try and ensure it does happen, because I know it matters to a lot of people. Sends a man, Groves in motion, toss sweep to Javante Williams, now reverse to Toe Groves, he'll throw it back to Howe! Touchdown, Carolina! That's Jones Angel from the Tar Heel Sports Network. We'll get to my grades for the Panthers game in 15 minutes, because we're now being joined by Carolina quarterback Sam Howe. After that TD catch leading to the massive win in Miami Saturday, and Sam... Let's start with that play, that touchdown catch you had. What was the success rate of it when you were practicing it in the weeks leading up to that game? Me, me and Togro is that completed every single time we ran it. So, Coach Longo had a lot of, has a lot of confidence in that play. So did we. Did you do the you down the downward you at practice as well? Nah, it just it was just kind of something that just it just happened in the moment. <laughs> you know, we didn't we didn't practice that, but just a the tensions of the game and stuff like that. Just trying to f- figure out how close to detail you are at practice because you know practice makes perfect, right? If you're going to catch the touchdown and put the U down at the game, you might have to do it at practice as well. How badly did you want to pull that out considering once upon a time, when you commit to Florida State, you're expecting to beat Miami. And when you're at North Carolina in the ACC, Miami's one of those schools you want to beat as well. So was it premeditated at all? Uh, honestly, not really. It, I just kind of got caught up with the emotions of the game and it just kind of it just kind of happened you know some other people on the team were doing it too so I just kind of joined along with them but you know there's there's really no hatred to uh to Miami you know there's no like rivalry in my head or anything like that towards those guys all right defensive coordinators they're going to be watching that now this year and next year thinking hmm how worried should we be about Sam Howell's hands I, I think you had a touchdown catch 
last year as well. Do you think Coach Longo is utilizing your hands enough in this offense? Uh, to be honest, I mean, I, I personally think I might have the best hands on the team, so <laughs> I don't think he's I don't think he's utilizing them near as much as he should. So I mean, I've definitely made several comments to him about getting some more plays involved where where I am catching the ball. Yeah, and that's saying something with Diami, with with Daz, with Corrales, um, with Simmons as well. You've got a ton of great weapons to throw the ball to. Sam Howe, Carolina quarterback with us here on Sports Sub Triad. How prepared are you now for the next phase this program's about to step into? You see all the attention, I'm sure, on social media or other places, guys like Fields or Trevor Lawrence, that they receive because it's not just college football fans watching, it's NFL fans teams and fans wanting these guys to play for them this is something you're about to step into sam and i know it's something you probably envisioned so how prepared are you right now mentally for all the attention you're about to face moving forward yeah you know honestly i don't think about the attention um that much you know i don't play the game uh for, for the attention you know i just i just love the game and want to be the best player i can be but you know I definitely i definitely do want to be um, one of the one of those guys in the spotlight. Um, I've worked, I worked my whole life for to get to get to where I am today, and you know just just to have the recognition people are already starting to give me. It really just is a blessing. It's just I'm just very thankful that God led me to North Carolina and just has given me all the, all the resources around me that I need to be successful. In basketball, Sam, players often are recruiting each other, not just in the NBA and college. And since you're in Chapel Hill, I'll use the example about a dozen years ago. North Carolina gets far in the NCAA tournament. They lose before getting to the Final Four. And it's that great group of Hansborough. It's Danny Green. It's all these guys who could be lottery picks if they decided to go pro. But they they came together and said, we're going to make a run at going to a national championship. And then they won it in Detroit. Obviously, you want to hopefully get to the Orange Bowl and have a great finish to this year. But there's a chance you could do something even more special in 2021. Are those discussions already starting? Yeah, I mean, we definitely we're we're kind of focused um, on winning our bowl game. You know, what, whatever that game is, you know, there there hasn't been much talk just within the team about people leaving and going, declaring for the NFL. You know, really, we're trying to finish this year off strong. And you know, whatever people decide to do after this year, uh, you know, I just uh, I just have to make the decisions in their own best interest. But you know, I mean, we're 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 definitely excited moving forward. All right, uh, we have a lot of a lot of good we have a lot of good young guys coming in too as well. So we're definitely excited about the future of this program. Number 12 recruiting class that is expected to be signed, and that's exciting to follow as well. Uh, Sam Howe with us, Carolina quarterback here, getting set to figure out where they're going to be playing next. It could be the Orange Bowl. Definitely going to be a really good bowl game, and we'll see where their ranking is tomorrow in the college football playoff rankings. See, your coach, Mac Brown, he was with us about a month ago and told us last year when you guys were you know, not expected to win a ton of games, he was just so thrilled when you guys won, he'd pull out the dance moves. This year, though, he said, you know, we're expected to win a ton of these games now. I'm not going to dance just for any type of win. Was that something you were surprised by when you saw Mac once again bringing back the dance moves? Yeah, honestly, I, I was surprised just because we, had, we hadn't seen him dance all year, so maybe we thought maybe he was saving it for the bowl game or something like that, but... Yeah, no, it was definitely exciting. Uh, you know, that was a big that was a big win for our program against a really good football team, a top ten football team. So, yeah, we were we were all really excited in the locker room. It, it makes it even better seeing Coach Brown dance like that. All right, 
put on your uh, analyst hat on here. You have so many people breaking down your game, from your release to your decision-making, all the different things that can break down. How would you describe Mac Brown's dance moves to our audience? Um, I would say very poor. Um, <laughs> very poor, not much rhythm. Uh, I would just say he's got a he's got a lot of a lot of work to do. I mean, I, I really don't see much potential either. So I think he has a lot of work to do. I mean, we've we've been trying to help him, but you know, it's, it's it's not great. I understand you're a video gamer. Do I have that right? Yeah, I play video games. Game out. Who's your squad in Madden? Um, you know, I switch it up. You know, I have to. I have to make it even for other guys that I play against on the team, so I, I mix it up a good amount. <laughs> Who's uh, but really, if, if I'm playing somebody good and I need to win, I'm going to get Seattle. Correct me if I'm wrong. This might just be my assumption being wrong here, Sam. You strike me as somebody who throws every single play in Madden. You're not running the ball. No breaks. Uh, it just depends on, on the game. You know, if, it, if, it's a, if it's an important game that someone against a good opponent, I'll, I'll run the ball a little bit just to – I have a little bit of balance, but not usually I'm throwing the ball 50 times a game. Who on the team would you characterize the opponent being an important opponent, that you're actually worried that you might get beaten? Who on the Tar Heel football team? Um, a defensive lineman named Jaleel Taylor is, is, my, is my best competition. He's pretty good. Sam, it was really a spectacular thing to watch over the weekend. Wish you the best of luck in your bowl game. Thanks so much for squeezing the time in in for us here in the triad. Have a happy holiday as well. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Make some noise, make some noise, let's go! You're on the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Robert doesn't seem to have much of a voice today. So let me share some uh, tricks of the trade I've learned over the years. Two things I've learned when my voice isn't feeling at tip-top shape. Three things, really. Hydration's important. The voice is an instrument. Water. Make sure you're well hydrated all throughout. Stay away from caffeine. You don't really want to have coffee. You don't really want to have soda. Caffeine doesn't really help much in those instances. Neither does sugar. Honey. Hot, that place. Tea, really good. I remember I was in the Mohegan Sun, Robert, for a basketball game where my voice just wasn't it. And I chugged about three or four different hot coffees, or not coffees, but hot teas, excuse me, before tip-off. And while I felt about 85 90% my voice, eh, it could have been a whole lot worse and we got through it. Uh, I remember Adam Amin was at that tournament, and he told me, hot's hot food. That works well. Like, if something's really hot, that will get your senses where they need to be and will help with your voice as well. So hot sauce, whatever it is. Robert, you taking notes here? It feels like something that might be able to help you. I'm just going to ride it out. What does that mean? I'm just going to wait till it's back to normal. Well, I mean, these are things that might get you back to normal. Yeah. Jumpstart the process. I'm drinking water, but I mean, I'm not going to go out of my... I'm just going to keep chug-a-lugging along, dude. It's not that big of a deal to me. Okay. Well, I just want to make sure your voice is in tip-top shape when you're 
on the air and getting where you need to go, especially for a segment like this where Let's Get Crazy is a segment where you deliver the hot takes. 336-777-1600. 10 minutes each week. We suspend journalistic integrity. We just get reckless with uh, with opinions. 777-1600. See, we're not a hot take radio show, but people like hot takes. So we include this segment in there where we're not going to judge a take for being too hot, but we will judge it if it's not hot enough. So let's dive right in. Cue the Prince. Hot takes only. If you have a good hot take, you'll be rewarded with this sound. And I'll get us started, Robert. I think your voice sounds better now than it does normally. Let me explain. I love your southern accent and when things are firing on all cylinders normally, but this new voice you have, it's mysterious. It's a little bit aggressive. You're pushing forward a little bit more, and it sounds like your voice has seen some stuff. That's what it sounds like. I definitely have seen some things. All right, what is your hot tank? Let's get crazy. Uh, when I was snowboarding this weekend, we went to the cafeteria to order some food, and it was just labeled soup. And I was like, oh, what kind of soup do you guys have? It was a little chilly, so I thought I'd get something warm. And the guy said chili, which I still got the chili, but chili is not a soup. Hold one sec. He said chili soup? No, he said chili is the soup. Oh. Chili is not a soup. And I know a lot of people who disagreed with me on the snowboarding mountain said that it was a soup. I disagree wholeheartedly. There's no broth. It's just slow-cooked meat and beans. It's not a soup. Wow. That is breaking news there. Something I haven't considered before. Robert Wall saying that chili is not soup. I never really considered it to be soup, but it sounds like the hot dog is it a sandwich conversation. When you get into the particulars of what chili is well does that fall under the same umbrella as soup the same way as a hot dog being between two pieces of bread that are connected together like a hot dog is does that qualify as a sandwich so i see the conversation i think in both regards i'm going to agree with you on chili not being a soup just like i don't think hot dogs are sandwiches Let's go to Jared in Greensboro. Jared, and if you want it, 336-777-1600. Jared, let's get crazy. Yeah, man. We got the Dolphins and the Washington football team both winning playoff games this postseason. Whoa! Let me think about think that for a second. They're going to carry them, man. They're, they're going to be big time when they need to. Okay. Let me, let me try and evaluate that for a second. Thank you for the call, Jared. The Dolphins... They, even though they lost to the Chiefs yesterday, kept it close. They already have eight wins. If they went up against, let's say, Pittsburgh, I don't know if I'd not pick the Dolphins to win that, 
And if you're thinking whoever the NFC East champ, they're not going to have a shot in their first playoff game. Well, the Carolina Panthers, when they were the under 500 team winning the division and getting a home playoff game, they beat Arizona in 2014, just like the Saints at under 500 in either 2009 or 10 beat Seattle. Or excuse me, Seattle beat the Saints. That was the beast mode, beast quake game where he had the long touchdown. Darren Chopper! 336-777-1600 if you want to continue playing along with us. We're getting crazy here on a Monday. How about this? The USC Trojans are going to get into the college football playoff. They are ranked 15th right now. The rankings come out tomorrow. But USC, why not the Trojans if you're just going to put Ohio State into the playoff. USC getting set to face Oregon in the SEC championship game or the Pac-12 championship game, excuse me. The Trojans, just like Ohio State, 5-0. and And Ohio State, they've blown out bad football teams, just like USC has. Rolling Washington State 38-13, winning on the road at Utah 33-17. Where exactly is the most impressive win for Ohio State? They beat Indiana, but it was just by one touchdown, and that's the only impressive win they have on the resume. In order for this to happen and for the argument to be made, Notre Dame would have to beat Clemson, Ohio State would have to get in, and you wouldn't feel comfortable enough putting A&M in over USC trying to justify putting Ohio State in might be enough to also justify throwing in the USC Trojans. So that there is my let's get crazy take. Let's go to Mark in Greensboro. Mark, let's get crazy. I'm going to go one step further on the Washington football team. They're wrapped up the NFC in the Super Bowl. Whoa! Mark in Greensboro saying Washington's going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Oh, my gosh. Panther fans will lose their mind if Mark is right and Ron Rivera is in the Super Bowl. Let's go. Actually, I got one right more. Uh, one, one I want to get to right here. Make sure I squeeze in before we get back to the phones at 336-777-1600. Christmas popcorn cans are actually, in fact, a wonderful Christmas gift. There is too much Christmas popcorn slander out there. I'm here to tell you, if you want to eat the popcorn, that's great. If not, it's great designs. You can repurpose the canister for something else and put other things in it, or... If you're behind in your Christmas shopping and you didn't eat the popcorn, you can just repurpose that as a gift for somebody else. Easy. Doesn't need to be anything else other than that. The Christmas popcorn is a wonderful gift. Let's go to Scotty in Winston-Salem. Scotty, let's get crazy. Yes, I was listening earlier about the uh, Dolphins and the Redskins. I think the Dolphins is going to be a team to watch out for, and I'm going to go out on a limb. 
I think the Dolphins are probably Super Bowl bound, and I can tell you one team that's definitely not going to be Super Bowl bound, and that's going to be the Panthers. Yeah, I don't know if the second piece is a hot take there, but I appreciate the call, Scotty. The Dolphins being there does qualify, so you get the sounder you deserve there for the Dolphins' take. Would that be too crazy if the Dolphins got there? Who's to say? Uh, that would be great if it was the Dolphins and Tua because I feel like he's being talked about less than Burrow and Justin Herbert and the Rookie of the Year discussion. Let's go to James to close things out real quickly. James, you're on Sports Up Triad. Let's get crazy, James. Yes, sir. I'm taking a step further and say the Washington football team going to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> I love this segment. I love it. Thank you, James, for the call. Hey, Josh, I got one more. I got one more if we What's have time. That? What's that? Uh, I, I wanted to say that the Washington football team is going to win three Super Bowls. Consecutively? Yeah, in a row. They're not going to lose another oh game my God. for three years. I love this. I really do. Where people are just trying to one-up each other. Who are the Redskins? Washington and Miami fans, we hear your voices. That's been Let's Get Crazy. Josh Graham has his finger on the triad sports pulse. So wash your wrist when he's finished. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. I've never been more happy to admit I'm wrong on something than I am right now talking about LaMelo Ball, who I never said wasn't going to be a great player. I just said, rookie season, when you haven't played in a year and you don't get the luxury of G League to to ramp up into the NBA and you don't get summer league ball either, and you have a target on your back because of your dad and your family in a way these other rookies don't, you might be gunned at by other guys in the league in a way rookies generally aren't. It might not be the fairest thing to do to you know, judge LaMelo Ball in year one, what type of player he isn't, or he is, or what he isn't. But then we had Jay Billis on the show last week, and Jay... He said he expects him to be the top rookie in the NBA, which is incredibly high praise. Then we watched it on Saturday, his preseason debut. Now, it's a small sample. It's not a lot. But I was reminded of watching Cam Newton, his first preseason game against the Giants nearly 10 years ago, where I don't know if they won. I don't even know if Cam's stats look great. But there was a lot of stuff surrounding Cam and... I remember it was a slant route across the middle of the field, left side near the seam. He darted one, and I knew in that moment, well, Cam's arm, it's going to translate from what we saw in college to the NFL, and he's going to be a player. And a few years later, he's taken the Panthers to the Super Bowl, and he's an MVP quarterback. LaMelo, there's something exciting here. Great instincts, 10 rebounds, the assist, the behind the back. Uh, on a couple of occasions, the home run over the head pass to Bismack, even though he didn't score, you, if you've been in this business long enough, you can tell when something looks special and the mellow look that. I'm interested in what Brian Geisinger has to think, who now joins us um, 
now. He's from accsports.com, our resident hoops nerd, follows the Hornets closely. What did you take away from Saturday? Just how optimistic were you going in to watch LaMelo? Did that change at all based on his opening? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, like, I thought LaMelo was the best prospect in this draft. I, I said that uh, frequently, um, and I thought he was exactly like what the Hornets need to get. I think they're uh, quite lucky that he, he slipped to them at, um, at number three because I would have taken him before Edwards and James Wiseman um, with a good deal of confidence. Yeah, I mean, like, he's six foot eight. You know, they put out the, they put out the official measurements last week. He's six foot eight. And he is a passing and basketball genius. And he has an incredible feel for the game. He has um, a great understanding of where his teammates are, both in the half court and especially in transition. And, yeah, it's a small sample. And, and look, we, there were plenty of, like, concerns <laughs> during the preseason debut over the weekend. I mean, he's going to struggle to finish this year. And I think you saw some of that with the pull-up shooting and the sort of like off the dribble creation inside the paint, you know, he's going to have to get better in those areas where they're going to the horns are going to find ways to sort of like work around those a little bit, at least um, in the interim before he doesn't in fact improves on those things. But like he was doing this down in, down in, in Australia last year, like that kind of passing, like that's nothing new. Like that's what this guy does. And, um, but it was cool to finally see it on an NBA court. And uh, I did think it was also interesting too, that, you know, we've been wondering for a while now, you know, what's LaMelo going to look like with Devontae Graham and Gordon Hayward and how are they going to toggle the playmaking duties and stuff? And he didn't play with those guys at all um, during the preseason debut. He basically just ran the second unit with the two Martin brothers next to him. Um, so I thought that was a little interesting too. But, yeah, the passing, the flair, the vision, like all of that is legit with this guy. Brian Geisinger is on Twitter at bgeis underscore bird. He put up a story about our conversation with Sam Howe that you can find at accsports.com. You can find the interview there as well, including our ACC rankings too. That's a different blog post. 1 through 15, we ranked the ACC football team's final week of the regular season. We did so earlier today. All right. I'm not a big fan of comps because generally we just think about what does this guy look like and who are the all-stars in the league that might have some element of that where we try to compare things? I'll allow for two guys here. What's a best case or a worst case for what LaMelo Ball is in the NBA? Whew. Man, it's tough to say because he a, he's a unique player and I'm not like crazy about um, comparisons either to be just totally honest with you, but God, if we're thinking, you know, best case scenario, I don't know, you know, like a, a six foot eight Jason kid type player. Does that, does that, does that make any sense for you? It or, is a, it is amazing. Cause I know you have, it's like an almanac. It's an encyclopedia. There are names that are just, you're running through your mind right now. Mm-hmm. And as a writer as well, you know what words mean, including the word unique which some people use loosely to say, oh, it's rare. Unique means yeah. one. And the fact that you're saying, oh, it's like Jason Kidd, but if Jason Kidd was six foot eight, is kind of saying, it's kind of the point here that when you look at the draft, Anthony Edwards looked like a really good player. And he might be a great player. He might even be better than LaMelo Ball. 
But we've seen some semblance of this. And we've seen semblances of James Wiseman as well. Is there anybody else in this draft you'd use the word unique about? Uh, yes. Uh, the, 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 the pick that the Oklahoma City Thunder used, they went with the 17th pick in the first round. Um, I actually watched his preseason debut over the weekend as well. But um, this is a name that probably not too many people are going to know about, so we don't have to touch on it for too long. But Alexei Pukasevsky, um, who is a guy that I actually had graded as a lottery pick in like right at number 10 on my board in Oklahoma City, took him 17th. And he had a pretty, I think, he's super young, um, and he's super weird, and he, you know, he's a bit of a highlight chaser at the moment. But he has the chance to be a really weird and quirky and good basketball player. And so, anyways, it was fun to see him make his debut um, over the weekend, along with also getting to catch Trey Jones from Duke and Devin Vassell make their debuts on the NBA preseason with the with the Spurs. But Pukasevsky, you know, he's a seven footer that can pass and shoot off the move and, and do a lot of weird, awkward stuff. But I, I think he has the chance to be a, a really nice player in the NBA too. I was at. Central's game at in Chapel Hill on Saturday. North Carolina, even though it was just a six-point win and the final minute 15 wasn't all that pretty with Central going on a 9-0 run, forcing Roy to call a timeout because apparently two of the freshmen pointed to the same guy when Roy asked, who's your man, to each of the guys on the floor. It didn't look beautiful at points, but the Tar Heels have this amazing front court that we've been talking about all offseason long that gives them a pretty big margin for error when shots are missed. You know, Lavelle even said it after the game that sometimes North Carolina's best play might be a missed shot because of how good those guys in the post are. But let's talk about the backcourt. Now that we have some sample of Caleb Love and of this really young group, Andrew Playtech having a nice stretch, R.J. Davis, Kerwin Walton, he's trying to get eased in, Puff Johnson at points. How optimistic are you about this Heels backcourt? How would you grade it so far? Yeah, I, I mean, I, actually, you know, R.J. Davis, he didn't have a great game against um, Central, but I've really liked him so far this season. I think he's been been their best guard. Um, Caleb Love, it's just sort of like a roller coaster, almost possession by possession. I mean, he, he continues to be uh, wildly inefficient um, offensively. He had six turnovers against Central, including a couple, like, passes, just reads where um, I'm not exactly sure what he was doing with the basketball because it's not even like – at times, some of these plays aren't even dictating and throwing the, the ball to certain spaces, and he's still trying to force it into windows where guys aren't even cutting to. Um, defensively, I think he has flashes. He had a pretty nice steal and, and scoop and dunk against Central, but also – a lot of ball watching away from him off the basketball. Um, and that burned them against Iowa and they actually got him a couple times against um, Central, too. Caleb Love's fine. I think you and I have talked about him. Yeah. He's going to be a, a really good player. But uh, his inability to separate offensively is causing him to have to take some really tough, contested two-point attempts. He's turning the ball over. And defensively, the effort's not there on a night-to-night basis. And then just last thing I want to mention, you because you brought up play tech. Like, you know... I. He's been their best wing so far, probably. I mean, I mean, unless you want to really you know, put R.J. Davis into that category, but Playtech gives you pretty good defense, you know, a little bit of versatility, um, ball mover offensively, and, like, they need one guy that can stand out and make knock and, and hit threes, and, yeah, 7 of 16 on threes so far this year for Playtech. Like, that's huge for them. 
Um, but as you sort of outlined, like this team's going to win games because they just maul people on the glass and get to the line, which is exactly the recipe they used to beat uh, Lavelle Moton in, in Central uh, in Chapel Hill over the weekend. BG, we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate you doing this. We'll have hopefully a lot more hoops to talk about as we mm-hmm. didn't get as much over the weekend with State being paused and Duke canceling the rest of its non-conference. So I hope things are well. Uh, actually, I'm going to be talking to you in a couple of weeks because I will be off next week. But, BG, it's good to hear from you as always. Yep, and uh, enjoy the vacation, all right? Thanks so much. Appreciate that. That's Brian Geisinger.